In this episode, you will discover why Spelling Bee Day is always the worst day of the year. At least, it was for me. You get to hear one more famous quote by Mark Twain. I learn, but will almost certainly forget, that there's no letter A in the word entendre. And you will hear about Sufism and their most famous poet, all on the way to answering the question, Got anything from across the aisle? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. And in one corner, we have Mark Twain, who said, Anyone who can only think of one way to spell a word obviously lacks imagination. And in the world of Mark Twain, I may be the single most imaginative person to have ever lived on this planet. And in the other corner stands my 11th grade English teacher who staunchly proclaimed that the mark of an educated person is the ability to spell, period. P-E-R-I-O-D. Every week we are given a quiz of 10 difficult spelling words that would be given to us, not in lift form, but in the context of a paragraph. Every word in that paragraph was of equal value and being graded the same if misspelled. It was entirely possible to do worse, far worse than a zero on these quizzes, a reality that I proved more than once. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, because I've spent my life struggling with spelling. I assume that anything I produce is going to have spelling mistakes and that when someone tells me I've made a spelling mistake, well, chances are they're correct. So in this case, when my wife saw the title of this podcast, she gently reminded me that the kind of aisle I was meaning is not I-S-L-E, but A-I-S-L-E. But let me say two things about the title. First, I continue to struggle with spelling. Unfortunately, for those of us who are not hardwired with the gift of spelling, lots of spelling tests, well, they don't help, nor do they make us better. But computers with spell check, well, fortunately, they do help. Also, I may not be able to spell, but my particular profession has helped me to be perfectly clear with the different spellings and meanings of at least two particular words. And those words are altar and aisle. So on to the backstory of this title. In this case, my wife and I voted early and headed to the island of Key Largo for some scuba vacation time during election week. So I'm writing this podcast, not recording it, but writing it as I sit on the island of Key Largo. So the title, I know, shockingly is not misspelled. No need for my high school teacher to give me a call. I'm pretty sure she doesn't have my number. It's meant to be a little wordplay, double entendre. I'm sitting at my keyboard laughing because I have just discovered five ways of spelling entendre that is still unrecognizable by my spell check. 
I hope I'm making Mark Twain proud. Anyway, this podcast is both being written on an island and is being written at a time when I am keenly aware of our need for some sort of healing and new way of being. In the world of politics, reaching across the aisle is often, even if it's a different spelling, is often the term that is used in the United States for someone from one political party working with someone from another. So the three things that I believe are by now abundantly clear about the title of this podcast are, first, it is intentionally spelled the way it is and not misspelled. That's number one. Second, it's a play on word intended to be humorous. Also, by now, I think you can tell that my 11th grade English class was an uncomfortable year for me. My 10th grade English class was quite the opposite. It was simply the best literature class I ever took in school. Ever took in school, college, high school, grade school, middle school, whatever. It was taught by Mrs. Potts, so a shout out to her. So the third point I will allow her to make, because she would say to me, if she were proofreading this before I gave it to you, I think she would say something like this to me. Danny, I think if you need to tell people you are making a play on words, you've probably robbed the moment of its humor. You are quite right, Ms. Potts. It's probably time to move on. So we need something that reaches across the aisle. But on this particular day, I'm not going to pick something from the world of politics. I think we've probably all had enough from the world of politics. And I'm not going to draw something from the world of Christianity because that doesn't seem quite to fit the theme of reaching across the aisle for me. But within the world of faith, there is an ancient tradition called mysticism. And at its most basic level, it is defined as seeking to become one with God. And it is a tradition that's found in every major world religion that I know of. Within Christianity, there are lots of famous mystics, and you may have heard of some of them, Julian of Norwich, Thomas Akempis, and of course, Joan of Arc are famous mystics. And then... Peter, the disciple, also clearly falls into this category, I think, with several famous mystical experiences throughout his life. And of course, I'm not an expert on Judaism, but I would think that Moses would be the patron saint of all Jewish mystics between his encountering God in the burning bush and his encountering God on top of Sinai. He has the kind of mystical experiences that other mystics of any faith could only dream about. And I could go on and on about all sorts of other mystics in other faiths as well. The interesting thing about most movements of mysticism within major world religions is that it's fair to say they are both respected for their depth and distrusted and even a little feared for the likelihood that they will push the community of faith out of their comfort zone. Anytime a mystic has a mystical experience of becoming one with God, 
the power of that experience begins to transform the community of faith and consequently begins to make some people, and often a lot of people, uncomfortable. This is the nature of mysticism. Think about it. Moses encounters God in the burning bush. And then all of the people of Israel are soon on the move. I mean, think about it. Moses encounters God, and then pretty soon everybody's on the move for decades. Now, you can look at that and go, but yes, something wonderful happened. They got to move out of slavery into freedom. Yes, they were able to escape from slavery, but not without a lot of painful change and a lot of grumbling for them along the way. Remember, they even said a couple of times, we'd really just like to go back. Also, look at Peter, the disciple. In the book of Acts chapter 10, Peter has a mystical vision, and it winds up being phenomenally transformative for the church, because the church winds up having to change its understanding of who will be allowed into this new fledgling community of faith. And if drawing from a mystic tradition is not going to make us uncomfortable enough in this podcast, I am, as I said, going to draw from a non-Christian one, which often makes a lot of us who are Christian uncomfortable. Let me be clear. This is not an attempt to convert anyone to another faith. What we're going to do is talk about something that is powerful and useful and may, for those of us who struggle with seeing people of other faith traditions in a tainted light, it may help us also see them differently. So in the 13th century, there lived a man known by much of the world as simply Rumi. He was a Sufi mystic and is remembered by many across the globe for his beautiful poetry. Sufism is a form of mysticism within Islam and initially began as only a subset of the Sunni faith, but eventually grew to be found within the Shia tradition as well. So within the faith of Islam in the 13th century, within the Sufi community, there lived a poet named Rumi. As is true of many people with his level of fame, there are words we know he wrote. And then there are words that are attributed to him that seem like something he would likely have said or have written, but we aren't completely sure that they are actually his. And today's citation falls into that second category. The quote is simply this. Before you speak, let your words pass through three gates. At the first gate, ask yourself, is it true at the second gate, ask, is it necessary? At the third gate, ask, is it kind? The first thing I notice about this powerful formula of self-discipline is that there is absolutely no way to use this as a tool to change others. The only way for me to use this tool to change the world 
is to take it and apply it to my own life. I also find as they progress one gate to the next, each gate gets increasingly difficult. Let's start with the first gate. Is it true? Okay, this one can actually be fun in a twisted and even sadistic sort of way. I mean, I can stray from the truth occasionally, but if you tell me I can only tell the truth, well, some of the most bitingly unkind comments are true. Let's be honest. I can bring almost anyone to tears with nothing more than the truth. Two people can argue and destroy a long-standing friendship and leave both in emotional shambles and nothing more than the truth was ever said on both sides. But now we have to add to that, is it necessary? To me, as I visualize each of these gates, each is smaller than the previous one, becoming more restrictive. What is true is different than what needs to be said. I used to work with teenagers and their families at a mental health facility, and so I've done a fair amount of work with teenagers before I went off to school, and it was not unusual for a teenager to admit to their family and therapy to making a mistake. They would do something like admitting to having an inappropriate emotional meltdown at the dinner table. And at that point, it would be true for every other member of the family to acknowledge that they had witnessed the mistake. But is it necessary? Do you really need five other people in the family to each and all say, I saw you do it. Someone else, yes, and I saw you do it too. Yo, me too, I saw you do it. And then the next, I saw you do it too. Yeah, and I was sitting across from you and you were really loud. Is that all necessary to happen in the family therapy? No, that's just piling on. It's not necessary. And then the final gate is, is it kind? This is the smallest of the three, the most restrictive gate of them all. I shudder to think the words that escape from my mouth that I failed to put through the test of this gate. I'm afraid that some other self-made gates, like is it clever or does it make me look better than you, have often left this final gate totally ignored. As I write this, I realize that Rumi may be, for me, my guiding light of Facebook. Rumi, who lived in the 13th century and yet has taught me several things about Facebook. Really. First, there are lots and lots of very clever, very cynical, very caustic posts strewn across Facebook every day that fail to meet these three tests, sometimes failing to meet even one of them. And let's be honest, before I spend too much time judging other people and their posts, I would not like to go through my own previous posts and see how I did in the past. I would not like to have to go back through using these three gates as a review of my previous posts. 
Second, I realize that the more I think about it, the more I believe that these three gates that he speaks of are real. I mean not tangibly real, but real in the sense that they are important. They take time, effort, and diligence to keep in place. Perseverance and persistence. They are also, I have found, highly susceptible to dissolving in corrosive environments. Environments like Facebook or Twitter, environments like social media. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but have you noticed that your temperament changes after just a couple of minutes on Facebook or Twitter? It's such a divisive and corrosive environment, particularly recently, that after Sometimes just moments of reading posts, I'm ready to post something. I'm ready to get my word out there and show people that I sometimes don't like who I find myself becoming after spending a little time just kind of letting that stuff begin to wash over me and shape me. After hearing these words of Rumi and reading them recently, I've decided that I'm going to I'm going to follow these gates to the best of my ability for the next couple of weeks. I want to see where it takes me. Because I think, first of all, they're consistent with my faith. Perhaps they're consistent with yours too. I've also decided that I'm going to live it, limit my time in corrosive environments, like Facebook, like Twitter, like certain news environments. Oh, I'll spend time still with some Facebook and consuming news, but I'm going to be more judicious on how I do it. Because when I get on Facebook and I just start randomly scrolling through posts, I can feel my gates beginning to dissolve. Or I turn on TV and I watch particular news programs. I can, I can feel my gates beginning to dissolve. Look, this doesn't mean I'm going to live a monastic life and remove myself from the world. Matter of fact, quite the opposite. There are some political contests that I'm interested in. Matter of fact, I live in Georgia. There's a lot of politics going on in Georgia right now. And I plan on volunteering some of my time and energy to get involved in those. But, but I've decided because there's going to be so much going on in Georgia, I'm going to do so only within the constraints that I've talked about today. I'm committed to the spiritual reality that I will not be part of diminishing other people. Before I speak, I'm going to really work on asking myself, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And before I get on social media, before I post or repost, or before I get on Twitter, I'm going to ask myself, 
Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And I want to I want to offer you an invitation. I want to encourage you to join me and give this a try. Give these three simple yet challenging gates a go in your own life. And then if you do, I'd love to hear from you. This would be a great, positive, true, necessary, kind discussion topic for the SkyPilot Facebook page, which I'm committed to keeping that page a positive, helpful non-corrosive place. So let me hear from you. And we have some listeners from around the world, and I would love to hear from you all as well. As we work together to keep our words, to keep our actions true and necessary and kind. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and kindly go wherever the quest takes you. Search for me on Facebook. Look for SkyPilot Faith Quest. And I invite you to contact me through email. Follow me on Twitter. Just remember that both of those are, of course, spelled differently. SkyPilot with three T's. S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. That's skypilot at gmail.com, and Twitter is at skypilot with three T's. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.